0: Podcast. Welcome to the Lab Coat Agents podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Lab Coat Agents Marketing Center. The LCA Marketing Center is designed specifically for the real estate world. It's a design center for marketing that has templates created so you can just plug and play from flyers, postcards, buyer presentations to open house signs and Instagram posts. Check it out for free for 7 days at lcamarketingcenter.com. In episode number four, Tristan, Nick, and Jeff talk to Mark King with Keller Williams. Mark is a 20-year veteran of the real estate business, and in today's episode, he offers insight around the coming shift, discusses hiring talent and a downturn, the value of building your database, and attracting talent through time, leverage, and opportunity.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Nick Baldwin. We got Tristan Almada. We got Jeff Fitzer. And we have the man of the hour, he just left, but now he's back. Oh. Um, <laughs> Mark okay, everyone. If you don't know who Mark is, I'm going to tell you. Mark is currently the team leader of the Keller Williams Chesterfield office. His OP is kind of a big deal. His operating principal is kind of a big deal. It's the CEO of Keller Williams, John Davis. Uh, so John Davis is is Mark's boss. And Mark is also the operating principal of the Nebraska Market Center, Omaha, Nebraska, and the Northwest Arkansas Market Center. He also had a team with Keller Williams, which he sold in 2008, but his team sold about 1,000 homes over the course of six years before he sold in 2008, which is actually probably the best time to get out, right, Mark? But we appreciate you being here. What we're gonna talk about is the shift coming. Everyone's kind of starting to feel it in the market. And we're going to talk about how to leverage conversations about a shifting market to help build your team and your brokerage and hire the right agents to come and work with you. So I'm excited about this topic because hiring is a topic that a lot of agents struggle with across the board. They make bad hires, they waste money, and they got to go through the whole process again. So let's just jump right into it. Thanks for being here with us. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Great. I
2: love it. Let's Great. kick it off.
1: Hey, let's talk about the shift, Mark. So what are you yeah. experiencing right now in your specific market in Chesterfield? And how are your agents feeling with what's coming down the pike next year with the unknown,
2: so to speak? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing to, to look at, Nick, is that the first step of working through a shift is realizing you're in one. And most people still don't think they're in one. And so we, we have the benefit of seeing the national numbers constantly. We know that we've been in one for quite some time. So, you know, I, I think about this in different terms. I, I was fortunate to go through the last shift, and what I realized was, A, I never had enough capital, right, when, when real estate was 50 cents on the dollar to buy as an investment, or businesses were cheaper, or people were getting out of the business, and I could buy their book of business, whatever the case was. I never had enough capital. So that's a big piece, a big lesson learned from last time. But I think understanding you're in a shift and then kind of having a game plan for what to do through the through the shift. Now, the good news is if you've done the work, if you have the work ethic, you've been, you've been praying for this moment. You're seizing on this moment because this is the time when most talent is available for you and your business. In other words, the three, four, five million dollar producers who wouldn't have a conversation with you, say, six months, a year ago, will be lining up at your door when, when that number drops to a million, million and a half. So when you have the solution, because you put the work in, you're going to be very attractive to a lot of people in this industry. And if you haven't put the work in, you're behind. So the the first thing you got to realize is you're in a shift. We're in it right now. Side note, we have a lot of business things going on. So my wife and I canceled my vacation this December because we got too much to do because there's too many opportunities right now. So we've been praying for this shift because we've done the work.
1: You know, it's interesting that you said that. And I remember on our team leader call, you had mentioned that you canceled your vacation. I thought that was really amazing to hear. But it's interesting that you say that. So in Lab code agents with Tristan and I run, there's a lot of agents who are like, I don't feel a shift. I don't feel a shift. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, what they have to understand is it's not just going to hit the whole country at once, right? And so I think what agents tend to do is they ignore statistics. They just flat out ignore them. Tristan, you ever notice that? Like we'll put statistics from NAR about like what home buyers and home sellers are looking for and we'll just have constant battles with agents just ignoring those stats, right? And I find it so interesting that agents just want to blatantly ignore what's going on in the market around them because they're not currently
3: experiencing themselves yet. That's how it is in everything that that we experience. So, I mean, all four of us here work at such a high level, um, so it's easy for us to work outside of the average but the average agent out there is going to ignore the shift and by the time they realize it like mark said it's like they're in it and they're like holy crap what do i do right so that's what we're talking to mark about it because he's been dude how long have you been in real estate 20 years so so you've experienced it like up and down and up and down
2: yeah, you know, people think that the mid 2000s were glory days and they were unless you were starting in real estate back then, right? And so what happens is, you know, in, in the in the late 90s I started investing in real estate and it was actually a really good time to invest in real estate as the market got better, the prices of those investments went up and I thought, "You know what? I need I need to get that license so I can get a 3% advantage on all these guys I'm competing with." And then that turned into opportunities to sell more. So we we've, we've been through a couple shifts, we've seen this you know, over and over and over again. And, and you're right on. People think it's not going to happen to them. It's actually a blessing for some if they don't realize there's a shift. If they just focus on the activities they're supposed to focus on, they're going to be fine. The reality is when they start listening to the pundits, the, the forecasters, the media, etc., it's going to be really tough for them to push through because during a shift, you have to double your lead generation. So if you've been a lead receiver during the good times, and you haven't been lead generating, what are the chances you're going to wake up tomorrow and say, well, I I need to go do twice as much as I was supposed to be doing during the good times.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love that lead receiver. So when we're talking about lead receiver, who are we talking about specifically? We're talking about people who just kind of have, you know, their sphere of influence and past clients just calling them, right? Like, or they're calling to check on them and they're not, you know, going outside their comfort zone and maybe calling expireds or doing circle prospecting, get that business. So that's kind of what a lead receiver is if no one was really clear on that. But I love the point about like, if you have a $20 million producer or a $30 million producer in a shift maybe they'll go from like, you know, 30 to 20. Right. But, but like, like a five is going to go to maybe a two. And those are the people who are going to really struggle. Like you can't live on 2 million in volume in a majority of the country. Whereas a 30 million producer who's only going to do 20 could still have a very comfortable life. So when you're hiring these agents that are used to doing five or 6 million and now they're doing two or three, those are the ones you're going to want to discuss the shift with and have conversations with about where they think their business is going to go and how you can help them get there. Is that kind of what I'm getting at with you? So you're kind of trying to explain?
2: Yes. And here's the challenge. During what we would call an up market, speed is what matters. It's how fast you get to the table as an agent, right? When the market shifts down, skill matters. So if you're not honing those skills your entire career during the good markets, then when the market shifts and skill suddenly matters, there's a ton of top agents that don't have a listing of presentation right now for example. What's a listing so,
3: presentation?
2: Exactly right. So, uh, because we're going to do a flat-out suit of our pants and buy our charm, right? So, the reality is, as the market shifts, suddenly your brother-in-law can't sell a house who just got his license. No offense to your brother-in-law. And the reality is, your skill is going to matter. So, imagine anything you do, if you're laying back and you're lead receiving and you're not sharpening your skills for in what's turned out to be about a seven-year period for us, then what are the chances you're going to jump in and be magical at your scripts and objections and objection
3: handling etc very low man very low one thing that you, you started with at the very beginning mark and i think people missed is that first you have to realize that you're in the shift that says a lot about mindset and where that has to be so can you touch on that because i think a lot of people miss that where does your mindset have to be in order to to realize this
2: you know, I, am going to name drop a little bit and I apologize for doing this, but I have to give credit to, you. I, I've had the great fortune of working with people who've had the most success in this industry ever. And, and a guy named John Davis and a guy named Gary Keller. And one of the things they've taught me for a long time is you're always operating in the market that's coming, not the market that you're in. So I've been operating as if I'm in a shift for the last four or five years. And what that means is we're doing the activities, we're doing the lead generation, we're sharpening those skills. We still do lead gener- We still do script and role play practice. We still do lead generation every single day. And what's going to happen, what is happening right now is you're seeing all across the country, what, whatever the metric is, if it's building a brokerage, building your team, selling more houses, you're seeing the people who weren't acting as if they were in a shift and you're seeing their businesses slide backwards. You're seeing those people who acted as if they were in a shift and you're seeing them start to take market share. So this is a time, again, you, you've been praying for this time if you've been doing the work. Oh, I love that, man. I love I lo- it. Yeah, I, I love
1: the first experiencing that you're in a shift because like I said before, so many agents are just like oblivious to the fact that they're in one and then they're going to, they're going to get comfortable. Right. So let's talk about like, let's some conversations we can be having as brokerage owners and rainmakers kind of approaching agents that are doing, you know, two or 3 million in volume who we know their business will most likely go down 50% during a shift like this. What kind of conversations can we be having with those people to to try to help them and to give them guidance
2: and grow our team and brokerage with it? Uh, I think the first answer to that is speed of the leader, speed of the pack. If people see you busting it and working hard, regardless of the market, you're going to be an attractor for others when they need an answer. I will tell you personally, as I talk to agents to build brokerages, they haven't needed great coaching, great consulting, great guidance through, through markets. Cause quite honestly, it's been easy for everyone. Now, uh, again, you know, it's, it's, you've been waiting for this time because now you get a lot more people who are interested in what you have to say. And so you have to become an attractor. You cannot be a chaser. Everyone else is going to be a chaser in this market and everyone's going to claim to have the solution, but the results are going to show themselves. The last shift, ironically, I had built a brokerage to about hundred agents thinking that was a, that's a big brokerage, right? In 2007, hundred agents in an office was considered a fairly. I mean, we were real trends, top 500 considered a fairly big office, successful office. That office was cut in half by the shift in, in, in one year. So suddenly a 50 agents in an economic model that, that is capped in terms of revenue. What I learned from that is the next time we better build a four or 500. So what we've got is a couple of our offices have four or 500 agents. If it gets cut in half, Two hundred agents going through a shift is still a monster office. It'll still be a top twenty-five office in the country during the worst of
3: times. Nice. All right, so dude, you mentioned before we started that you cut your vacation. You're like, hey, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going on vacation, and I'm not complaining. Wait, before we no, 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 no. ask that question, because wait before because we had, had that question, mindset, dude. And I think with the mindset that you have, it's like you know what. Cut the bullshit, dude. I'm going straight for this. There's no time to go around and be like, hey, I'm taking this weekend off or, you know, I only work until 5 p.m. There's there's no time for that shit. So explain your mindset because a lot of agents just slack and I just hate when they do that. I want to know what Mark
1: said to his wife when he decided they weren't gonna go on the
2: vacation.
3: You know, you know,
2: Nick, you know what's awesome about that? Anybody yeah. who knows my wife, first of all, she's very talented. It stinks not being the most talented person in your own bedroom, but I will tell you that she's extremely talented. And she was the person who brought it to me and said, you know, you've got all this going on and we see the market conditions are what we've been talking about and hoping for and we're taking advantage of. It's no different than your, than your capital, right? Hopefully what you've been doing is storing capital Another big challenge for people who haven't been is you've been storing your capital through the good times. Now you get to create lifelong wealth through this next downturn. You're going to be able to buy properties at 50 cents on the dollar, for example. So look at that same thing. You know, When we talk about our time, we had an amazing vacation last year and this year as it got closer, we said, you know, we're, we've got three or four things going on that if we do the right things, it's going to set us up for life. So what we've got to do is we've got to look at our priorities and we've got to decide. The other thing is there's a lot of people that depend on us. So it was actually my wife's idea. I would have caved and gone ahead and gone on vacation probably. Uh, and she came to me and said, we've got too much to do. Let's uh, let's put this off a while.
1: You know, it's interesting because my wife, we, have, we were planning a trip to Disney World in August and I had taken the team leader position in Michigan in May. And she actually came to me. She's like, you know what? We probably shouldn't go to Disney world. And I was like, wow. Right. Like that's so cool that she actually brought that up because I wasn't going to do it. She started the conversation.
3: Well, um, in many of our
2: roles, we have the opportunity to not only take care of our own families, but many, many generations of families around us. So you have to, that's another thing about the shift is you have to understand what moment of time you're in, right? You have to understand when to take your shot. And right now is when top producers are going to take their shot. Top producers are going to gain market share during the next several years. Mark, what are they going to do to be able to do that in the next couple of years? Here's what's awesome, Tristan, is they likely will do the same thing they've been doing because here's the challenge we have with the shift. I and mean, someone asked me the other day, you know, what, what should we do now? And the answer is you should have been doing it before. And so if you just keep doing what you were doing, let me give you an example, Tristan. So in, in a pipeline, for example, let's say in my real estate team, my fictitious real estate team, I've got a hundred potential sellers coming down the pipe in the next six months because I've been doing the lead generation. I've been following a pipeline. I've been reaching out. I've been talking to people every single day. I've got my eight by eight, my 12 direct, my 36 touch in place. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not just sitting back waiting for people to call me now what happens is the market tightens is now I have more inventory to go have open houses with. I have more to lure and attract more buyers and sellers too. So if I've been doing the work, I'm in great shape right now. I just have to continue doing what I was doing. And the reality is, you know, we, we coach, you know, I'm a maps coach with Keller as well. And we coach these things called the four boxes and we can tell you what your conversion rate is from contacts to your appointments, to your listings taken, to your closings, to your GCI or profit or whatever dollar metric you use at the end. So here's what happens in a shift. Whatever it takes to get a deal closed during the good times, you can likely just predict it's going to take twice that activity to close a deal during a tough time. So I go back to if if you've been diligent, you've been making your I'll pick a number 20 calls a day into your database, it may take you 40 calls a day. It may take you to think differently, to leverage differently to get that same number of closings during the shift. Got it. No so good.
1: No so, so good. So you know, one of the top agents, well, the number one agent in my entire state, Jeff Glover, does a really great presentation on the shift. And if you guys don't know Jeff, he's the number one agent in the entire state of Michigan, and Michigan's a big state. Then they'll do rough over two hundred million in about one thousand transactions. And so it's it's so funny because I saw a status he shared that was a Facebook memory from 10 years ago and it said, goals, sell 100 homes, right? So 10 years later, he's selling 1,000. And he does a really great presentation on the shift and what he was saying was, the FISBOs are already statistically very low, right? But we're gonna start to see more opportunities with FISBOs. and agents who aren't used to calling to get listings are gonna really wanna take that opportunity because traditional homes listed by agents are going to take longer to sell. Think about how long it's going to take a FISBO to sell, longer than it already is, which is a really long time. And those people are going to start to appreciate the agents more. In a good market, that's when all this tech comes into play that wants to buy homes and sell them and let people in at any time of the day or night and try to cut out the middleman. But when we're in a shift, Those companies are going to struggle because the consumer is going to value and appreciate an expert who's sitting right in front of them. And therefore, for sale by owners are going to value us and the expertise that we bring to the table. And our commission might even be protected more so than it was in the last seven or eight years as well. So we want to start taking that into consideration.
3: Mark, if somebody isn't doing the necessary steps right now to prepare for the shift, what is it that you would recommend they do? What are, what are some of those steps? So we, we have a saying around here. There's nothing that 10 well-priced listings
2: won't solve in your business. You know, so go get 10 well-priced listings tomorrow. It'll solve everything. De- depending on what your lead acquisition strategy is, the size of your database, the amount of time in the business, your skills. You know, there's not a bulletproof, super secret pill. You're going to have to do the work and you're gonna have to put the time in. The good news is most people won't. Right? Most people are not going to do the work. And I'll give you an example. You know, Nick just brought up for sale by owners. We killed it on expireds during the last shift. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's a lot more of them. And as you see prices continue to go up and you realize wages are not going up, it creates this bubble. So what's happening right now, it's still happening today. Agents who are not paying attention to this are still taking overpriced listings. The days on market are going long. They've almost doubled in my market in the last six months. And what happens is if you, if you nail your skill around expireds, you can go clean up all day long by just paying attention to what other agents are not doing, not pricing correctly, you know, et cetera. So step-by-step is the same as any step-by-step to be successful in this business. You've got to build a database. You've got to create a number of, of raving fans around your business, referral sources, you know, to Nick's point about technology, there's a tremendous commission suppression going on in this industry. We're, we're paying out a big portion of our commissions to, you know, lead aggregators, whoever it is, right? They're not bad companies. They've created good business models, but what's going to happen in the future is you have to understand they're going to shift too. They're already not making money and being very public about not making money. The best advice I can give you is go back to the basics. We should have never left them. It's build that database, communicate with people, be the local expert of choice, know your market inside and out, have every tool available to you to understand what's happening street by street in your market area, and you can't lose during a shift.
0: If I can add, you need to get uncomfortable. That's what I tell my people all the time. Our businesses are very parallel and you need to be investing in your business. So it's, it's right now, it's, it's this time of year, Dan and a shift combined where agents are struggling or loan officers are struggling, but it's at that point that they actually need to get very uncomfortable and go invest and go educate themselves, surround themselves with people that are way more successful than them, go to events. We've got one coming up. Go seek out the Mark Kings of the world. Go seek out the Trishans and the Knicks. Soak up as much as you possibly can. Don't take time off. I don't know about the vacation thing. I'm still going to Key West in January, but I'll, but I'll probably work while I'm, not probably, I will work while I'm there, but you've got to get uncomfortable.
2: Jeff, I'd love to add to that because you're so right on. You see so many loan officers during these times and they'll cut their marketing budgets. First thing they do, they'll stop spending on whatever they're spending on. And part of the challenge is we don't track, realtors do the same thing. We don't track the rate of return on each individual investment, we just kind of, during good times, everything works. So we just throw money at everything. And the first thing we do when the market shifts and less money's coming in is we cut that marketing. I think that's where the top producers are going to beat everybody else is they have a system and a model. They know what their conversion rates are. They're committed to long-term investments in their business. They're hiring more people, better talented people, because there's more of them looking around and they're leveraging more than ever before. Let me see if I get this right. So are you saying that,
1: we should cut our marketing or we should increase it because there's going to be a dropout of agents in the
2: industry? Well, that's a great question. That depends, Nick, on if you're diligent with tracking your investments, you know exactly where, you know, I put this amount of money into a billboard, not the best investment, and it's giving me nothing. I'm cutting all those billboards, right? I'm going to re-margin my business for everything that's not working. During a good time, I might let some things slip. I might try things longer, et cetera, When I'm talking about marketing, I'm talking about specifically investing all the money you invest in your business. It could be letting staff go. It could be doing more with less staff. It could be doing a lot of those things. But the first thing you should be looking at is what is my rate of return on every dollar I'm spending? And if you know that during a shift, go pump more money into what's working and take the money out of what's not. So let me ask you a completely different question. Where do you think agents or
1: brokers or team leaders go wrong when they're, attempting to recruit an agent like you've got an agent in front of you right where do you think they go wrong like what are the wrong questions they ask or maybe they're not digging deep enough maybe they're not selling opportunity what's the wrong way to do it where where it could completely backfire and that person
2: could just walk out and you almost had it but you didn't what are they doing wrong you don't connect and what the reason why you don't connect is you talk about you or your company or your value and you you may not know if that's going to land on deaf ears or not it's all about them in a recruiting presentation. You have to find out what's important to them. You have to do their needs analysis. It doesn't matter if you have the secret to solve every problem they have. You need to go through that process and learn everything you can about that person. Then you need to give them some kind of action plan that's going to lead them to success. And you need to give them some evidence and say, here's the 10 agents who were where you were when they came here. Here's the plan we put them on and here's where they are today. Would you be interested in that kind of success? So I think we make it too much about ourselves and not enough about them.
1: I love that point because I was having a a long meeting today with my team here in New Jersey and and I did a really cool activity with them. And Tristan, you might want to do this. I asked them to write down 10 things on a piece of paper that are important to them, right? And then at the end, I asked them to circle the one thing on that piece of paper that could get them the other nine. And whether they knew it or not, everything on that piece of paper was only attainable through more income, right? And they're like, but... You know, money doesn't drive me. And I'm like, that's cool. Money doesn't have to drive you. But in order to get to where you need to go and to have what you want, you need the money, right? So when people say, when you're talking one-on-one with an agent, money might not even matter. But when you're digging deep enough and finding out what they need and what they want, money might not be the driver, but it's the catalyst to get them to where they need to be. So that's true. I've learned is definitely the needs analysis. Agents need to go a lot deeper and not talk about themselves. You know, That's the biggest mistake I think most agents make when they're talking to potential recruits. Tristan, how big is your team now? 18? I've got 24 people now.
3: 24? Yeah, so 24 and growing, man. So we're definitely doing a lot of old school stuff, which is cool to hear from Mark. I have a question for Mark about the different brokerages, man. And look, you're, you're Keller. We're we're actually all Keller here, which is kind of weird. But I have a question, and I asked this to Howard Tager, who runs Lopo. He's the CEO of Lopo. And I've asked it to a few other CEOs. And that's, look, there's EXP, and then there's Compass, right? Those are like the new companies in town, right? How do you see those two specifically? adapting to the shift that's happening or that's going to happen in their market in the next few years.
2: Well, I think from any brokerage company model, you have to understand your clients are your agents, not the buyers and sellers. And so the companies with the best agents are going to win in any instance, right? I when I started with Keller, we had 11,000 agents nationwide. We were where other companies are and a lot of the big players, I think, ignored us, you know, it's that old Gandhi quote, first they ignore you, then they make money, then they attack you, then you win kind of thing. So I would tell you that in the history of real estate, we've learned lessons over time. So you had a dependent model from the time cavemen sold caves until REMAX hit the scene, right? And what happened when REMAX came to town, all the traditional companies attacked and they they said terrible things about REMAX and they said, it'll never work and they'll never be profitable. And that drove RE-MAX and RE-MAX became the number one company in the world. We say this at Keller all the time. Keller is now the number one real estate company in the world in agent count units and volume. And how many companies have been number one? Well, a ton of them have. How many of them stayed there? None of them have, right? So if you get to number one and you get complacent and think that some new model coming out there isn't going to be a better mousetrap, I'll tell you what happened is that when, when RE-MAX kind of took over in, in terms of industry numbers, thing is the dependent models didn't really change what they were doing. Then Keller kind of comes on the scene and grows rapidly and starts to take market share. And what's so fascinating is you would think the traditional models would kind of learn that lesson and they really didn't change what they were doing. And by the way, neither did Remax for that matter. We kind of just kept doing what we were doing until, you know, Keller was ignored to the point where it kind of took over. Well, that's, that's all changed. Keller's clearly a presence now, right? 170,000 agents around the country, et cetera. So I will tell you the greatest thing, and I, this is not about Keller, this is about the industry. Mm-hmm. The greatest thing that we can understand right now is you have to be willing to adapt and change. And I I sit in Austin, I watch John Davis leading conversations about adapting to the market. So there's not going to be a better mousetrap as long as we stay ahead of whatever mousetraps created. This is another thing that happens during a shift, Tristan. We see it with top agents everywhere. It's not just going to other companies, but they'll go start their own companies. Yeah. Right? We've a good run. We've made a lot of money. We're going to go start our own brokerage because now we have we have the answer. And then during down times, a lot of those agents go join big companies. Right? Oh. So one of the indicators that you're in a shift is when top agents start starting their own brokerage. not that they're not able or capable or, or whatever the case is. They certainly are. For some reason, our confidence to do so rises during the best of times. So then, you know, in our current situation, we've folded in a lot of independent companies because of that issue. As time moves on, the markets shift. You need better systems and models. You need better technology. You need lower cost technology. And I think in the future, Tristan, answer your question, the company with the best technology and the company with the best agents is is going to win. Here's my concern, though. As long as we keep fighting each other in terms of brands and company, we're missing the whole point because here's the thing, five years from now, we're either going to be travel agents and Expedia as an industry, or we're going to be lawyers and LegalZoom. What I mean by that is we're either going to be taken over, mitigated, there's going to be few of us, we're going to be paid a lot less as real estate agents, or technology is not really going to affect us that much because our clients truly see us as the fiduciaries that we are. So right now, rather than compete and fight, and, and we're always going to do that, right? We're always going to compete at a high level with all of our competitors. We got to understand we're kind of in this together, regardless of the brand name.
3: Yeah, that's so true, man. That is a good answer, bro. Well, I see a lot of. Well, I'm sorry. I, that was that was good, man. I see a lot of bickering back and forth. I'm better. I do this better. It's like at the yeah. end of the day, if we don't get along, somebody's going to come and take our industry from us. Just sell my listing, dude.
1: Right. There's so much of that. It's, it's, it's like, why are we fighting when at the end of the day we have one goal, get the deal done. Yeah. makes no sense. Hey, somebody's asking in, in the, in the webinar, all this talk about a shift and hiring and recruiting. Is it really a good idea to make
2: hires during a shifting market? Man, these are such great questions. So I would have given you a different answer in 2008, and that's because I was in a different place. So to, in order to kind of explain this, Nick, we got to talk about the difference between cost of goods and cost of sales, because in a shift, you really would like to pivot your business to more cost of sales, meaning you only pay expenses when there's a transaction done. During the uptimes, you take on a lot more cost of goods. So you're hiring more salaried people. You're signing bigger contracts for marketing. You're doing different things. Your fixed expenses are typically much higher when you feel confident you have money coming in. So what I would tell you is be careful, re margin your business on expenses, be careful, do more with less, but also think of cost of sale, make it better for someone to win when a transaction's done than a guaranteed salary. You know, should we be hiring? Absolutely. You should always be thinking forward and growing your business. The market really doesn't affect you from that perspective. But if you haven't done the work, laid the foundation, you don't have the systems in place, it's never a good time to hire the wrong person. It's always a good time to hire the right person. And to that point, here's something that, that I think I, I learn a lot by making big mistakes. And my mistakes come with big dollar signs typically. So I'm, I'm working hard not to make those anymore. But I'll tell you, the biggest mistake I've made in real estate is not following a process to hire someone. My favorite example of that is I had an agent walk into my office and say, I, I found my, my first assistant. I met him at a bar last night and I got a good vibe. <laughs> That sounds like me, Mark. Are you looking? I know, and I'm like, Tristan, get out of my office. So what happens is we have to follow a process, and, and whether you have one at your company or you don't have one, seek one out, you've got to be great at identifying talent, walking them through some kind of personality assessment. You've got to get to know them at, at a high level. Then you need to train them really well for the first 30, 60, 90 days of, of their life with you, and you need to know how to motivate them moving forward. So... Following a process when hiring someone is best advice I can give you regardless of the market. Not following a process is guaranteed to cost you money.
0: And I think the time to answer that question just more simply, if you have the right systems and processes in place and you have the right platform and you have the technology, it's absolutely the right time to be hiring people because the getting is good right now.
2: Well, Jeff, you expect your business to go up next year, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. And so I need I need leverage for that business to go up. And I'm not saying that because I don't understand there's a shift happening. I understand there's a shift happening and I understand the activities that have to take place in order to have those numbers go up. And we're going to need more people to service more agents.
3: All right. On that, there's a question from Brian. Brian says, what's the best way to turn around a real estate company? How fast can that be done? I'm going to say not only a real estate company, but a real estate team. You know, that's the question from Brian. What do you think, man?
2: Yeah. So this was kind of my specialty. The reason I sold my real estate sales business is because I got an opportunity through John to, to kind of go in and work on turnarounds. And so he sent me to the last place office in our region. And I will tell you through a merger acquisition and through a lot of hard work, we turned that around in about a year. Uh, so that the the short answer is depends on what you mean by turn it around, but it was the last place office in a twenty-five office region losing money every year to number one in the entire region three years later. So a year after going there I got sent to a different this is how I became an OP. I got sent to a different market center that was now last place in the region. And two years later that was number three in the region in profitability. So the question of how long does it take? It's, it's how much time do you got to put into it? And what vision can you cast? It's all about vision casting. Because when you walk into a bad environment, and really that's what we're talking about, Tristan, if a real estate office or a team isn't working, there's bickering, there's infighting, there's a reason it's not working, right? If you follow John Maxwell, he'd say, just fire everybody, right? Because whatever, whatever, whoever was running that business wasn't doing their job. Unfortunately, that's the answer. But the reality is, if you understand your business model, if you understand what drives your brokerage or your real estate team, you're going to have to go get the right people in place. You're going to have to focus on the right activities. But again, there's nothing, just like a real estate agent, there's nothing that 10 well-priced listings can't solve in your business. There's nothing that $10, $10 million producers walking in your door as a brokerage won't solve for you. So what do you have to do? How big do you have to think? What kind of vision do you have to cast to go attract 10, 10 million dollar producers it could be an equity play it could be an, you know it depends on a lot of factors but how fast can you go create opportunities for others that's how fast you'll turn something around nice what are the top three things to make that happen do you have them or top one thing i think the top one thing is having a big enough vision and being able to attract people to that vision because at the end of the day if we don't understand that our agents we'll speak of a brokerage or team You know, I have this bullseye circle in my office and and somewhere in here we're transitioning, we're cleaning up for the end of the year. But what happens in the very inner circle is my staff. My staff means more to me than anybody else and they get my priority. I'm with them every single day. We have a designated time. We meet no matter what. They are the most important people in my business. Then outside of that is the top 20% of the agents that I work with. If you're on a team, it could be your top 20% of your clients you work with, your core advocates, that sort of thing. And so outside of that might be other agents. And it doesn't mean I don't like all agents. I love all agents. But as a top producer, you have to understand that not all activities equal the same results and not all people equal the same results. So you've got to have a big vision, number one. you got to be able to understand your priorities. You've got to focus on your team, number two. If it's a real estate business and people don't buy into your vision, it's not going to work out long-term. That's a huge one. By the way, during a shift, you're going to see more movement on that team. You're going to see misalignment and vision. You're going to see more people breaking up during a shift, right? Money gets scarce, people get picky, whatever happens. And you're going to see more fallout. You're going to see buyers agents who were top buyers agents for years who are suddenly going to leave a team or the team's going to ask them to leave or something's going to happen during a shift. So you have to understand during good times, it's easy to follow other people's vision. It's
3: easy to be in alignment with other people. During tough times, man, it's it's tough. Dude, it gets scary. Here's another question. Uh, This one's by Shauna Frazier. I'm currently on a team of six agents, and I'm getting nervous about feeding them leads. I'm showing them how to get business for themselves, and my coach said, don't show them how to get business for themselves. Hmm. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting... (laughs) (laughs) Where's the button for dodging questions? Is that... (laughs) (laughs) You, you know what? Uh,
0: I, think, I think that's a good one for Nick
3: and Tristan to answer. You know what? I, I would just that. say, what the hell? You got to show people everything that you can. It's, it's, it's People it's are going to watch out on you no matter what.
1: Here's the thing. In my experience, if it's only about the leads, they're not the right fit for your team. Because your only value proposition shouldn't be that you offer leads. Now, it's sad that that's what most agents care about. But I have a very competitive split on my team with my agents where I really, I want them to bring their own deals to the table because they're going to take home the most money, but they're going to be able to tap into our systems and our models and our training and our mentorship because that's, now I have one agent on my team who capped this year and I didn't really send her any leads. It was all her sphere of influence, but she loves being on the team because of the, of the culture and of the systems and of the training and the, of the models and stuff. That's why she's there. So, to people who only want leads and nothing more, they're going to leave you quicker than the ones that don't. That's my experience.
0: Yeah, I think, I think take that one step further. Right? As the independent of this four, I'm not directly with Keller and I'm not necessarily directly, I'm not the Lab Code founder. It's an abundance mentality. If you're not with a team or you don't have leaders that are, are constantly giving you and constantly sharing and constantly want to lift you up, probably need to find a new team.
1: Hey, somebody had a question, Amy Van Winkle. How do you begin to roll in those smaller brokerages, right? Like you start to see bigger teams and brokerages joining KW, joining EXP, joining larger brokerages, right? So how do you begin to roll them in and how do you tee up their needs analysis to an independent broker to find out, you know, what they need and what you could give them?
2: What are we all looking for at the end of the day? We're all looking for more time, money, leverage, or opportunities, right? I mean, we can break down the whole hierarchical human needs, and we can basically, in business, we can come to those four things. So if your vision's big enough, there's not a broker out there. We can call Warren Buffett on the phone. Nick, get him on the phone. And we can, <laughs> share, with him. We can share with him how him rolling in home services to your office in Michigan is a value to him. Right? Now, he may not buy into it, but at the end of the day, I can tell you that there's a high likelihood. Think, put yourself in the shoes of someone who has a brokerage of 30 agents. Now go look at your brokerage, look at your profitability, look at your production per agent, and just take the same percentages and put them over there. The challenge a 30 agent independent has is they're not big enough to have all the tools and all the buying power and all the economy of scale. And so if they do have agents that are producing at a high level, it won't be long before they're cutting deals to those top agents. It won't be long before other companies come along and, and offer deals to those top agents. So you're really stuck in a catch-22 as a smaller brokerage. You have to understand that as the market shifts, it's highly likely that if you have 30 agents or less, you will not make money. At that point, you're feeding a business so that you can walk around and say, I own a brokerage. So if you have a vision big enough to offer opportunities and, and be inclusive, back to Jeff's point, the easiest answer of worrying about whether someone's on a team, giving them leads, leaving you, not leaving you, you got to have an abundance mindset. And you got to have thick skin. I've had more people leave me in this business than I care to admit. And that's okay. We didn't, we didn't align with vision. But here's the thing. There's plenty of people out there that I know will align with that vision. So as, as, long, as, as long as we understand that during good times, a 30-agent brokerage can make a lot of money. During tough times, they're not going to make any money. And that's when you have the conversations. What opportunities can you create for them? By the way, they're working 60, 70 hours a week to make no money. How can you add time to their life? How can you give them leverage through training, through technology, through whatever? And what opportunities are out there? Could they be a coach with a coaching company in your company? Could they do other things? Could you do joint ventures? What other opportunities are out there? That's, that's why you need to get to know them and find out what their big why is. Find out what, what's important to them because you have the solution if your vision's big enough.
0: And uh, we've, got, we've got another question here real quick, and we've got we to start wrapping up here pretty soon. And Chad Lindsay asks, if you ran an MREA team again, how would you be positioning over the next six months to get an unfair share of your market share using what you know about the KW tech coming?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I want to be very respectful of everyone on the line because, again, we're all in this together. And the things I've seen, the technology I've seen uh, traveling to Austin the last couple months, things that we share with everybody, things we can't share yet. I'm going to tell you that it's mind blowing technology for the agent and all of the technology is keeping the agent at the forefront, keeping the agent, the fiduciary. So what does that mean? I want you to imagine a chart. I wish we had a a, a draw for you, but I want you to imagine a chart in this hand is the first time a buyer seller thinks of buying a house. This hand is closing day. In the old days, even when I started in real estate, the first point of contact right here was a real estate agent, Right and that agent would walk them through closing. That's why our days on market were longer back then. That's why the time to closing was much longer back then. But what's happened in the last 20 years, what's happened is Zillow or internet has taken that first point of contact spot for someone thinking about buying or selling real estate. So what happened, the good news is the agent still gets involved, but they're getting involved over here. So what that means is shorter days on market, shorter time to closing. What you also have to understand is that the chances that, I don't know what, I forget the percentage, but it's something like 3% 3% of the agents who were in the business 20 years ago or before internet lead aggregating, 3% of those agents are in the business today. So the agents in the business today have never lived in an environment where the internet was the first point of contact. So if I had an MREA today, what I'd be doing is I'd be getting people to download my KW app. I'd be getting them to go through my app to get their lending needs through Keller Mortgage. I'd, I'd have them search for homes through my app and have them use my artificial intelligence to search neighborhood by neighborhood, I'd be getting them ingrained into my CRM. The predictive analytics that's happening is crazy. So just imagine, I'll just throw this out there. Imagine a world. Well, let's go back. It's not like a movie, to imagine a world. <laughs> <laughs> coming and, soon. Coming soon, to the, yeah. So in the last 17 years, I've coached other agents. And I've had two major challenges in coaching agents. One is to get them to build a database. So every agent watching this will shake their head, yeah, that's a challenge. And number two is getting them to consistently talk to that database. That's as basic as it gets in real estate. And if you do those two things, you will win every single time. I don't care what technology comes out. So imagine if there was a technology on your phone where you could say, hey, Tristan, add Tristan to my database. Tristan, what's your phone number? And he gives me his phone number, and I add Tristan to my database. So reducing the friction to add to a database. The second thing is imagine if we had predictive analytics, that showed us the people in our database and when they were most likely to move next. So in other words, based on your time and residence, based on the equity in your home, based on your income, based on all the, think of when you're looking at shoes online and you open your email and those shoes are in your, right? That's the technology that we have. We're going to be able to predict who in our database will be moving next. Now, if you don't have a database, that's no good to you. So the best thing I would do with an MREA is I'd be build my database like crazy. It sounds, I know it's, you know, I get in trouble around the country tongue in cheek because I'm the guy that says build a database, build a database, build a database. It's never been more important than build a database right now today and build it in this technology that's going to tell you. You're going to wake up in the morning and it's say, these five people are most likely to move next. Would you like me to schedule a call with you? Sure. I'd love to talk to those five people. Or would you like me to send them a group text? Or would you like me to send them a text and say, have you thought about buying or selling? They're going to get that text and go, how did you know? I mean, this is amazing. So understanding the technology that's coming and understanding, here's the other big point on that, just to tie a bow around that. To my knowledge, we're the only company that has 100% of our technology into the future is completely indigenous to Keller Williams. What that means is we keep our own data. The other side note of that is we've had our own data since 1996 because of the profit share program, we've, we have all this data. We're going to have massive amounts of data and the person, the, the company and the agent with the most data is going to win. So long answer to your short question, but that's what I'd be doing.
3: That's beautiful. I love it, man. Good plan.
2: guys. anything else you want to add, Jeff? No, good stuff. I love it. And I'm
1: excited for the future and I'm excited for 2019. Let's right. grow okay.
0: Hey, we hey, like we said, events, events, events. Surround yourself with successful people. Mark, I don't know if you're gonna be at the event in St. Louis in a couple of weeks, but if you are, if you're on this call, if you're local to the area, come say hi to Mark. Yeah, all, all of us
1: actually. Yeah, I'll be there. Go to go to lca one.com, buy your ticket to our St. Louis event. It's gonna be kick ass.
3: Coat Agents Podcast.